to you by naturopathicearth.com. Here is certified health coach A. Gregory Luna with Confessions of an Obese Child. Hello, everybody. This is A. Gregory Luna once again. You can call me Gregory for another rendition of Confessions of an Obese Child. Listen up. It has been quite some time since I've had a confession. As you know, for most of you who are listening to this feed, know that uh, Kate McCall and I have been cranking out some of the NPE radio editions. So I've wanted to put in at least six or seven of those before going back to confessions. I know a lot of you, well, not a lot, but some of you have commented or contacted me asking if they were coming back, and they are coming back. Now, I do have an endpoint vision for this. I have already written uh, the last two or three on my website, which is www.naturopathicearth.com, which is N-A-T-U-R-O-P-A-T-H-I-C, earth.com, or as they would say in French, maybe, le mot naturopathique. So my confession blogs are actually there, and I've already written the last two of my obese stage in my life. That's going to be the opposite sex, and why did I become fat? Or I'm sorry, not why did I become fat. That was the first one. How did I lose my weight? That one I haven't published yet, and I'm recording this in on April 25th, 26th. Uh, once I do that one, that's going to end the first section, and I do plan, I know I've been saying this now for three months, but I am going to interview somebody. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to have about probably 10 more personal confessions about experiences that I had growing up or after I had lost my way and just some of the lingering effects of how people dealt with me, how I dealt with other people, how I viewed myself. So definitely I'm going to talk about survivor guilt, the, the zones that I had in my body because when I started dating girls, I had zones for which they could touch and which they couldn't. Some of you are overweight and lost your weight can maybe relate to that. I'm also going to have a sequel to the opposite sex confession, talking about some of my uh, weird experiences dating, because when I was overweight, I didn't date at all, of course. And then once I lost my weight my senior year, I did start to date, albeit much younger women. Uh, So I'll talk about some of my dating escapades in college. But today... Today, we're talking about the lumbering athlete. This is Confession 18, Confession eighteen, the lumbering athlete. I did talk about uh, my experiences in gym class, and that was number five, way back in the year of our Lord of February 2017. But I really didn't talk about, I guess, my club level. <laughs> Not that I was like Lionel Messi and I had, you know, played for Barca or anything like that. But I did do club sports for a little while, and I'm going to talk about my experiences there. So before I begin, uh, no politics, no pop culture, really. We're just going to go over just the basics here. You can find me at Naturopath Earth on Twitter and on Facebook. I have actually spent some time on Facebook the last week or so posting articles. I actually uploaded a video that I took today of myself outside of my coffee shop, and I did post a picture of the smoothie that I made for lunch. And I think some of you know, if you listen to the naturopathic radio, I do intermittent fasting, and so I really don't eat anything um, of substance or anything at all, aside from tea. 
until about two, two or three o'clock. And then I finish eating probably around eight. I like to do like a two to eight fast window. And we're definitely going to have a pod about intermittent fasting because it's so crucial. But you can find me there on Facebook at Naturopaths. So definitely go visit the site if you want to see a live video of me, you know, because I know really there's only one picture of me on social media and on my website. So there is a live video of me. Um, I'm, you know, I am bald, which is okay. I really never had a problem with losing my hair. I do, I should post a picture of me when I did have hair. I do have a picture of me in Pampelona, Spain when I ran with the bulls, which I talked about in confession, I believe 15. When I went to Spain, so I had a full head of hair, and then eh, maybe about 10 years ago, uh, it started withering away, the alopecia, and now I try to keep it really short. I actually do shave my head, so if you watch, if you see the video on Facebook, I haven't shaved my head in a few days, but normally I like to keep it like Mr. Clean, and I do shave my face, and I can grow a beard. It's funny because I had a goatee through the 90s. Like if I ever post that picture of me with running with the bulls, I had a goatee because goatees were like kind of popular in the 90s to do the little artistic patch like the Ethan Hawke from Reality Bite circa 1994 with Winona Ryder. That was kind of big back then. And I did have a beard for a year or two, but I used to have really dry skin. And I think, you know, I had really dry, dry skin in college. And actually, this is more for a naturopathic radio podcast about as to why I had dry skin and how it was connected to my diet. But nowadays, you know, it's, I don't know if it's Duck Dynasty or just the whole hipster thing, how you see a lot of people with these full, full beards. And I don't know if I'm ever going to do that. You know, you do see people who go bald and, and lose their hair, and then they compensate by growing facial hair and a full beard. That's just not me. Even on days where I do shave, and I try to shave every other day, um, I always have a stubble. It is always with me. It, it's, it's, it's just a degree of stubbleness. So even when I shave, it's it's very stubbly. But I can get very, very, very stubbly, and I can easily grow a full beard. I just choose not to do it. Yeah, so that rendition or that segment of the podcast was sponsored by Barbazol. Please purchase their shaving cream, either for sensitive skin or with aloe vera. Anyway, 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 let's talk about sports. Let's talk about sports, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things about soccer. I am doing sex ed now in my class. Uh, one of the classes I teach is the introductory medical class, and it's a district mandate that I teach sex ed. Or there, there's a curriculum we have to follow. And it's a two-week course, and then after that, it's a, it's a one-week course on parenting and paternity testing, just in case the joke is, you know, if you don't pay attention in sex ed and you get pregnant, well, you better pay attention to the parenting and paternity test because um, you need to know what to do if you do get pregnant and how you can file for paternity and whatnot. But there's, there's a section in the sex ed. And the sex ed, I love teaching the sex ed every year. I think it's so fun. You know, there's definitely guidelines that we have to maintain. We can't be just talking off the top of our heads. But there is a section about, you know, how pop culture and how media influences children and their view of sex. And so you have on one side, you have like the parents and religion telling them not to do it, not to do it. But then, you know, that's really just a drop in the bucket compared to media you know, music, TV, uh, movies, peers, 
And I tell them the stat that only, it's only about 50% of high school seniors have had sex by the time they graduate. And they scoff at that number because think about it, since a very early age, they've been watching TV shows and movies. And I always bring up like Friends or How I Met Your Mother or New Girl and all those shows, everybody's sleeping with everybody. And a lot of these shows, these kids start watching them really early very young, 9, 10, 11 years old, and they think it's normal. And then I, and then I challenge them, or, or like with the movies, you know, a lot of them are in, into the Judd Apatow movies, so like Knocked Up and Pineapple Express and the American Pie movies and, and you know, whatever movie that's really big right now and all those movies the teenagers are having sex and doing marijuana. So they think all that is normal. So I tell, I tell, I tell them, I'm like, parents are at such a tsunami they're against so many odds to have, try to keep their kids clean and virginal because unless they put their kids in a bubble, which I, I do recommend, I mean, one computer in the house and it's in the main room and you can only use it when parents are around. I, I, I totally do not agree with the view that kids should have a smartphone because you're just asking for trouble. There was a stat that I saw that the average age that a kid is exposed to porn is nine, nine years old, first time. And so, I mean, you're looking at that, you're looking at social media addiction, and even my students will admit that they regret that their parents gave them their phones when they did, because they'll admit that they have a problem with them. So my goal, and my oldest is only six, my goal is to keep phones in, in away, and right now they only have one iPad that, that I put away, and they can only use in front of me for watching Bible cartoons and uh educational games and stuff, but we'll see how long that lasts. But it is a tsunami, and I feel for parents because it's tough. It's tough because you want to raise them with maybe some religion, and you definitely want to raise them where they don't grow up doing drugs and, you know, whoring around. But you really have to insulate them from pop culture. That was my public service announcement. Dun, dun, dun. All right. Despite the fact I was an obese child, I loved sports. Well, what I mean is that I loved watching sports. As a fat kid, I watched all the Houston teams because I was from H-Town. I've mentioned that many times. So I watched the Rockets, the Astros, and the Oilers. That's when the Oilers were there before um, the owner moved him to Tennessee. 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 Arrested Development, 90 song, Tennessee. Anyway. Then we got the Texans later on. But by then I was like, eh. It's funny. I see this correlation. Like like when I was really young, I was really into sports. Like I could tell you, tell you everybody that was on the roster of the 86 Astros or the 94 Rockets when they won the title with Elijah Wan. Now I don't watch any sports. I watch soccer, and I don't even have cable, so I kind of keep up with European soccer. And uh, the Texans I, I keep up with because I do fantasy football. I'm the commissioner of two leagues, but I really don't um, watch it. But back then I was definitely in, into sports. The sports oozed from my blood. It was oozing out. My middle brother was an exceptional athlete, the one I, I wrote um the one that I, I have a blog about, the, the middle brother, the popular brother. And my father, well, I mean, he was a bullfighter, and he was a really, really good soccer player when he was younger, too. So, I mean, I did have some some athletes in my family. So I'm just going to talk about some of the sports, and again, just like summer camp and the amusement park, just some, just some memories of each of the sports that I did. And when I mean each, it's just really baseball and soccer. So I have very fond memories of the Little League complex. My brother was a baseball player, and he was six years older than I. And so I remember when I was a little kid, I just remember, like, walking around and throwing the ball around and eating a lot of Frito pies and snow cones. 
And, you know, there was always the fundraising for those bad candy bars that were like $3 a bar, you know, that they would always do for fundraising. And I remember just eating all those bars and my parents would be like, Albert, Albert told that you're eating all the, the inventory. We have to put in $10 for all the candy bars you ate. And of course, and I'd be like, shut up, mom. So yeah, I used to do that. I remember uh, just a lot of sunsets, mosquitoes, and I remember those logs, you know, like when you'd pull up at a little league complex in the 70s and 80s, they wouldn't have curbs, so they'd have those big logs with nails in them, or maybe this was just in Houston. And I remember walking on those and just watching the big kids in the Pony League play, but I had great, ex- just great experience watching my brother play. Now, I started playing when I was about five, and I did t-ball. And I showed some prowess. I was pretty decent in fielding. And at this point, you know, I wasn't really overweight, not that bad, you know, five, six years old. I was about 80 pounds when I was in kindergarten. Uh, But later on, maybe a couple years later, I moved to the automatic pitch. I never got to the point where there was a a human throwing it at me. So they had an automatic pitch. They just had like a dad put a ball in an automatic pitch machine and it would just shoot it out. So it would just go right over the plate, right? So uh, I did that, and I noticed that there was an inverse relationship that existed between my increasing blubber and my reflexes. So the older I got and the fatter I got, the slower I got, which makes complete sense. So my baseball skills were like not, I was like hit and miss. I was like Babe Ruth without the liquor and the 1920s bad uniforms. I would like hover, my average hovered around the Mendoza line. You know, if you know anything about baseball, I think that's around 200. You're batting around 200. I'm sure that's named after some dude named Mendoza, but I wonder if it's like, let's just pick the Mexican that bats the worst and just name it after him since it is a line of shame and uh, infamy. So let's just name it after the Mexican. But So what I would do is most of the time I would strike out, okay? And then if I did hit the ball like a grounder, it was literally faster for Phileas Fogg from around the world in 80s days to get around the earth than for me to get around to first base. I mean, I was just the lumbering athlete, right? I was like, boom, 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 boom. But uh, I, I do remember two unique stories of my baseball career. I, I do remember two. One was I remember having an in-the-park home run, and I distinctly remember this because, well, let me, let me mention the other one first. So what, what the coaches would do, and I stopped playing around nine. What the coaches would do is I had bulk, right? I was big and tall and fat. And so what they would do is prior to the game, when they were doing batting practice with the pitching machine, they, 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 they move me out there. I would be the last one to practice batting and like every third ball, poof, over the fence, poof, over the fence. And so it was like psyops. It was like psychological warfare against the other team. The little, the little runts, the little nine-year-old kids that looked like actual nine-year-old kids would be like, whoa. And then I remember my coach, or it was my my dad. Somebody told me that they thought they were I was forging or they were forging my birth certificate like the Cubans and the other people do in the Little League World Series. You know, when you hear about the guy wasn't 12, but he was like 18. So I actually got accusations because I was so much taller and bigger. So they'd roll me out. I mean, literally, I was rolling like, and then, and then strike out, strike out, strike out. And the kids be like, whoa, right? So I was like, okay, well, this kid can bat, right? So then I actually get up in the game and most of the time I just strike out. Or I would make very little contact with the ball and then it was all, and again, you know, Amelia Earhart dead. 
you know, 70 years ago could probably still get around the, the world faster than I could have gone to first base. It was horrible. But I do remember one time where, and I've, I'm sure I had real home runs in a game, but I do remember never living up to the expectation of batting practice when they rolled me out there in front of the team. I never performed like I was supposed to. Maybe it was just panic attacks, like the Invisible Student podcast, or I don't know what it was, but I couldn't live up to it. But I did have one in-the-park home run. So what happened was, and I remember this because my brother kept telling me. And so what what happened was I, you know, they they put the ball in the in the machine and I and I just tapped it down the third baseline. And so um, the third base kid overthrows first base, and so everyone's like going go Alberto they go. And so I got the first and I started running to second, right? So I'm like. And so the, 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 I guess the right fielder who was covering first overthrew it or threw it poorly to second base. So it goes into the middle of between center field and left field. And they're like, Alberto, they go, go. So I'm like, I get to second base and I'm running the third. You know, by this time I am completely winded, but everyone's yelling like on our team, go, go, go. Because they thought it was amusing that, you know, a big fat kid was running around. And so, so, so I round third and the third base coach is like, go, go. And so I guess the little kids were like, I don't know, like it's like the, the bad news bears, the center fielder like threw it, but threw it like two inches, two feet or whatever. And so it took like six throws to get back to infield. And so I'm running to home plate and the ball's coming to home plate. And I feel so bad for this catcher because I'll mention I was a catcher. Uh, like Engelbert, right? Engelbert from the Bad, New, Bad News Bears. And so the, the the ball gets to this kid and I am running full steam and I want my freaking in the park home run, right? Because these are rare. So I am just barreling down. I am lumbering, but I'm barreling. And so I'm just do, do, do. And then I get to me and he gets the ball, probably a good, I mean, like I'm like halfway to home plate. So he had the ball and I'm like, you know, F this. Boom. I just run over this poor little kid and he drops the ball. And I mean, he's out. I mean, he doesn't like, he doesn't lose consciousness, but he, I mean, he's like out. He's like um, discombobulated. And so safe in my team, all the play, all the, the players come out of the club. Yeah. 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 And I'm like passed out on the ground. Literally. I'm like next to the dude I just knocked over and I'm like just barely breathing but I'm all happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they probably try to lift me on their shoulders, but of course I do you know they, I'm too fat. So they're like, oh, forget this. Yeah, it was a great in the park home run, but let's move on. So I do remember that memory. So the kid got up and he was fine and you know, the coach was all mad, you know, and my coach was like, whatever, you know, come on, it's, it's illegal. That's, that's part of the game. And of course, I didn't know how to slide. You need some like modicum of talent, athletic prowess to slide. So, I mean, anytime I had to go into a base, I, I didn't go over like, you know, head first, sliding head first. It was just kind of like, let's run into the dude. So uh, that's pretty much my experience like with hitting. Now, I was the catcher, which made made sense. Now, if you guys haven't seen Bad News Bears, the original was with Walter Matthau and, and Tatum O'Neill in 74 maybe and that's just about a you know it's a typical ragtag bunch of losers who create a team and walter Matthau's the coach <sighs> buttermaker right buttermaker's a coach and he's like an alcoholic and the kids like the original is funny because they have all these kids who are cussing and they're racist and just all these gay slurs and, and black slurs and you know you wouldn't see movies like that anymore 
And so it's just about a, a ragtag bunch of guys and they get to the, you know, everyone picks on them and they get to the, the game at the end. And it has a lot of music from Carmen, the opera of Carmen by Bizet. And it's just great. And then they had sequels to it. Anyways, Engelbert's the catcher. And, the, and the, the joke about Engelbert is that he's eating candy bars the whole time behind the play. And of course he can hit the ball because he's big. So I kind of always related to Engelbert because I was playing, this is like mid to late 80s, but I, every, I mean, everybody knew Bad News Bears. It was a great movie. They did remake it. Richard Linkletter, who also did Days and Confused and the Before series. I mean, and um, tw- not 12, the one where he chronicles Boyhood. Um, he did a, a, a remake of the Bad News Bears about five, seven years ago with Billy Bob Thornton. I mean, Billy Bob Thornton would be a great buttermaker. But it lacked that, um, I don't know, edge because the kids, it was all politically correct, of course. You can't make you know fat slurs. Well, you can make fat slurs, but you can't make racist slurs and gay slurs anymore. So if any of you have never seen the Bad News Bears and you love baseball, definitely watch those. Of course, the classic adult base baseball films are going to be like Bull Durham. Bull Durham is classic. You know, Kevin Costner, Tim Robbins, Susan Sarandon, great movie. Uh, the Naturals, all right, Robert Redford. Uh, Major League, of course, with Charlie Sheen when he was young, and Tom Berenger. That's a great one too. I mean, those those movies, baseball. Oh, I just I was just so into baseball when I was a kid, and then the strike came in '94, and after that, I kind of just lost interest. Or maybe it's when I moved to Alaska, and it was hard for me to keep up with the Astros. Now I don't watch baseball at all. I, I don't. I mean, I would love to go to an actual live game because I think baseball is one of those sports that's best live because you don't really have to pay attention and you can just kick back and just enjoy the the night air. Whereas like basketball and football, I don't like going to live events because they're loud and people around you are drunk and it's just, you can't talk and it's just, and it's just, the tickets are so expensive now and the parking's outrageous that it's just not worth it. I don't want to pay $8 for nachos. I mean, somebody told me uh, Jerry Jones charges like $80 for parking at Dallas, uh, the Cowboys Stadium. Now, granted, I would never go because I freaking hate the Cowboys. That's part of being a Houstonian is you got to hate everything Dallas. But over in uh, the Reliance Stadium in Houston, it's the same thing. It's just overpriced. So it's like, nah, sorry. But baseball, I'd go to like minor league baseball, minor league soccer games. Uh, Definitely. But yeah, so baseball. So around 9 or 10, stop playing. Soccer. Soccer was another story. Soccer is in the blood of the Luna household. As I mentioned, my father played it, and later on he was a referee. And then my brother was actually on the state-winning high school team. He went to the same uh, private Catholic school I went to, Jesuit, Strake Jesuit. And uh, in 86, he won the state title with his team. He was very, very good. And, uh, you know, one of my best memories is just, um, and I'll mention this when I have the Popular Brother podcast, just being their little gopher, you know, getting the balls that they missed, that they kicked over the net, and just being with the team. It was just such a great experience. You drive it around the state and go to all these tournaments. So it it was part of my life. And also, my dad gave us a lot of history of soccer. He taught us about Pele and Maradona. He loved Maradona, the, the cocaine addict. And Eusebio and De Stefano, and, you know, of course, the Mexican legends, none of which I ever heard of. But, you know, that, that's that's my dad, Okay. He was the assistant coach of our team and for my brother and myself. And I do have some pictures of my brother and myself in our soccer uniforms when he was probably 12 and I was six. So uh, really cute pictures. So soccer was big in my, my, my life and I wanted to play. So when I was really young, six to eight years old, I was a real good soccer player. You know, my dad told me I was good. He told me later on, he goes, Albert, you had the talent to be very good. And then... You got too fat. And I was like, yeah, I know. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, again, just like with baseball, uh, my my height and my my girth was kind of an asset. So there there were a couple of positions I played. So I, I was much bigger than the other kids, and I had this rocket leg, right? Because I'm so big, and I could put my weight behind it. So at the beginning, they put me at fullback, fullback or central defender. Those are the guys right behind the whole goalie. So I was like the perfect deflector of the ball. So the coach would tell me, they'd be like, Albert, just get in front of the ball. Just get in front of the ball. And it's like, I don't want to get hit in the crotch. Just get in front of the ball. I don't want to, you know, have testicular torsion or damage to my screw. <laughs> just get in front of the ball. Okay. Because, you know, every, every kid wants to play. So I was slow as refrigerated ketchup. Ketchup. Not ketchup. I say ketchup. Ketchup. I was so slow. So what it was is I was like perfect central defender. So if someone was attacking, if I was a wing, there was no way I'd get back to the center in time. So I would just stay kind of in front of the goalie. I was like the bulwark, the last wall before it got to the goalie. And you know, when you're eight, nine years old, the goalies are crap, right? But it it is a smaller field and a smaller goal at this time. So what I would do is I would kind of like backstep, backstep to the certain point. Then I would just get right in front of the kid, the forward who's about to kick the ball. And so what would, one of two things would happen. My gigantic, flubbery, obese body would scare the crap out of him because his big kid's coming at him with his big rocket leg. And, you know, I had no, you know, I was like kicking shins. I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I kind of knew the, the rules a little, but I was just kicking shins, just my shovel leg. And so a lot of these kids, I'd just kick them in the shin, they'd fall over. Ow! But more often than not, they would just kick the ball. They just, just kicked the ball. So I was like kicked at all the time. And I'd have all these bruises and welts on my face and on my body because I was just this gigantic bulwark. And so either I would block the ball and it'd bounce off and another defender would kick it away or I would block it and just kick the ball. And I, my leg was so strong, I could literally kick it to the other goalie. It was that strong. I mean, I wasn't really that good at passing. It was more just clearing the ball, right? You're a fullback. Just clear the freaking ball. So I would do that or or more often than not, you know, it was pretty easy to steal the ball from these kids because, I mean, they did have the speed to go around me. But once I confronted them, um, I could kind of get the ball from them because I was just so much bigger. So for a couple of years, I was the defender, all right? And so... Eventually, though, the, the next, you know, Alex Ferguson or, or Jose Mourinho or whatever coach you want to keep up with, you know, I know, I know my uh, Pep Guardiola. I know my, my international soccer coaches because that, you know, I love European soccer. But later in my life, before I retired from the game at the tender age of 11, they put me as a striker at a forward. Okay, so it's like, why would you put somebody at a striker? Well, okay. I was slow, right? The lumbering athlete. And I think the coaches thought, well, I had the foot of literally 30 giants compared to these little diminutive kids that I was playing against. So I had a gigantic cannon. So they thought, okay, it's like Jose, it's like, uh, what's his name? Josie Altador uh, on the US team. It's like, you have no skill. He's got like no one-on-one game. So just get the ball to him and he's so athletic, he'll turn and shoot. So it's kind of the same thing. So... I was like this, 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 I don't know what, I don't even think we had, uh, uh, formations. It wasn't like a four, four, one, one or four, three, one, one formation, but I was at the top. And so the, the key was if the ball was given to me, if the ball could be fed to me, I would turn and I would shoot and get it in the goal. I scored tons of goals. 
tons of goals because the defenders were were pretty small kids. And once the ball was near me, I didn't have decent enough talent to get it in, okay, to get it in. But eventually, though, I was so slow and so fat that the ball would have to be perfectly placed right at my feet for me to shoot it. If the ball was a little far from me, like the pass wasn't good. And again, these are 10-year-olds, so you don't expect, you know, precision, precision. It's one of my words, physician, physician, precision, precision, passing from a 10-year-old. So if the ball was like four or five feet from me, I, I, by the time I'd lumber over there, the defender would sweep it out. So I was a very effective fat Buddha. I was like the Christian Ronaldo, or the, uh, the, I guess I don't want to do Lionel Messi again. I don't know. Hmm. So I don't want to be Suarez because he's a, he's a cheater and he's a, Anyways, let's do uh, Robert Lewandowski. Somebody, I was like, but a much fatter, like a fat Buddha. I was like a fat Buddha. I was like, just just give me the ball and I will give you good luck and you can rub my belly. So when I turned about 11, I just had to give up both sports. The main reason was, especially in soccer, was that the field got bigger. It got regulation size, like the size that you would see at a high school. And I just couldn't keep up. I mean, by that time, my weight had burgeoned. And I couldn't keep up. I mean, I was barely keeping up on the small kid fields. And by then I was lumbering and sweating and so forth. And there was no way I was going to keep up on the larger fields. I mean, I loved soccer, but honestly, I didn't love it as much as binging. And I, I had to make a choice on a, I guess on a, I don't know, 11 year old subconscious level, you know, food or soccer. And I didn't have the self-control to choose soccer as much as I love the attention and playing and all that. I just didn't have the wherewithal and the foresight and the, and the passion of the game to do that. And so I gave up and it was sad because my obesity robbed me of another potential joy in my life. You know, looking back, it's like, were, were girls social status and self-esteem not enough that you had to take, you know, the love of my one sport that I adored I mean, I was so good, I would kick corner corner kick goals. I had a real nice bend, like bend up like Beckham. Like I had a nice bend on my free kicks and my corner kicks. So my corner kick literally, because I had a cannon, I could kick it and curve it into the goal. I mean, I was that good, but yeah, it was sad. You know, I have so many fond memories of my childhood sports. I, I missed like practice at twilight. The oranges at halftime. Remember the moms would always cut up the oranges. You have the little orange, the orange peeled, the crowd sharing, the camaraderie. And the funny thing is, that, and I could be wrong, but I don't remember any of the kids making fun of me. Now, I don't remember if the other team kids did or not. I honestly don't remember. And I don't like fabricating. I don't fabricate on my confessions. So I honestly don't remember, but I don't remember my teammates making fun of me. I really don't. So maybe it's because I was an asset. So let's talk about a second chance, a second chance. So I had another crack at sports. In the peak of my obesity, which is about uh, 16, 17 years old, my sophomore, junior years in high school, I was approached by the high school football coach to be a lineman. And, you know, you're thinking, why would they want an obese guy on the football team? Well, clearly, if you watch anything NFL or college football, you have fat linemen who are the offensive linemen, right? They're the ones that protect the quarterback, make holes for the running back. 
And so it was perfect. I was probably around 270 pounds at the time, and I'd be on ideal wall. Nowadays, though, I think a lot of offensive linemen are pretty quick and 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 uh, limber. They they can move really fast, but you know, as a whole, they want you big, right? So at the time, I I was like, what? Be in a locker room with those kids, the same kids when I was at elementary school that I chronicled in. Uh, confession for in the locker room to change in front of them to have to shower in front of these kids no way no way in hell was I ever going to do that again because these kids are even more sadistic the older you get but then I started looking back and and two things kind of jumped in my head one was perhaps I had joined the football team the jocks would have liked me more because I was part of the team so like my fat could be used for good and not evil, kind of like I mentioned in the competitive eater, right? I actually had a talent. So instead of jeering me at being fat, they would laud me, you know, since it was for their betterment. And I could have been like the, the stereotypical jocular, jovial, fat offensive lineman that you see in all these, uh, these high school movies like Varsity Blues. You know, they always have like that token country, hick, fat, white kid. That's uh, in all these movies. I could have been that kid. I could have been like the the jovial kind of jocular funny kid. And they could have grown to love Fat Albert instead of deriding him. Or perhaps it's just part of my imagination. You know, I could have end up bullied, ruthlessly bullied by my teammates to the point where I would quit. You know, I, I have no way to know that. But part of me looking back wonders in that regard had I had more acceptance Uh, In high school, had I joined the team, but there was no way. I mean, I didn't have the security. You know, it's not like like you look back now. And I tell this to my students. It's like you got to have confidence. But like when you're asking out a girl, you can't walk up to a girl in high school and be like, "Um, like I want to know, like, um, will you please go out with me? I just want to ask you a question. You know, just like if you if you don't, just think about it. Like, no, girls sense that as weakness. They want confident, assertive men. So you have to walk up and be like. Hey, baby, how you doing? Hey, I like you. I like you a lot. I want to take you out. You think about it. I think we can have a good time. I'll come back and ask you tomorrow. If you don't want to, that's cool. If you do, that's cool. All right, late, and you walk away. So you don't put them on the spot because then they'll be like, uh, 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 uh. so you just think about it, right? And then you come back the next day and like, so are we doing this or what? And they'd be like, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> or they'd be like, no, I'm, I'm going to go out with my mom. And then, see, that's that's the problem right there. See, the kid, the, the boy, the insecure boy, be like, oh, okay, that's okay. And he'll just, like, kind of slink away all depressed. No. You got to show, like, you don't give a damn when somebody rejects you. Be like, cool, all right, late, see ya, peace out. And just walk away. Things that you always got to walk away first. Okay, you don't want to let them walk away. You walk away. Now, this isn't like some... Um, Oh, what's it called? The P, not POV, the player movement. There was that move like five, 10 years ago about how you can like pick up women, the pickup artist stuff. No, no, no this is just, just my experience. So I tell my, my, my students that are boys and I have very little students that are male, most of them are female because most people want to go into the medical field are female. I just tell them, it's like, just be confident. And if they reject you, just don't show it, you know, but I didn't have the confidence to walk in there and be like, yeah, you're going to make fun of my fatness and then like push him against the wall or something like that, you know, because they would, bullies tend to back down if you fight back. If you just cower, they're just going to keep doing it. The other bigger thing, which I think is, is more, um, 
revealing or illuminating would be, had I joined the football team, there is no way I would have lost my weight. There was no way I would have lost my weight because I lost my weight at the end of my junior year, thanks to the persistence of Coach Webster. Now, if you guys haven't read my, and really I need to, well, I'm going to do the, how did I lose my weight? So I'll talk about Coach Webster. I'll talk about that in, in the two more confessions. But I lost my weight my junior year because I had this, this Lou Gossett Jr. officer and a gentleman type drill sergeant, just, just black, angry, and he, and he really pushed me. And had I joined the team, I would not have taken that PE class. And more importantly, the coaches would have encouraged me to gain weight. Now, they would have encouraged me to do the drills and, and get in a little more shape, but they definitely would not have wanted me to lose weight. The reason they're recruiting me is to be a wall a bulwark, and to be fat. That's what they needed from me. They didn't need me to be the rapidly disappearing Luna, as, as my teachers called me during my junior year when I lost like 100 pounds in six months. They didn't want that, so they wouldn't have encouraged that. And as part of acceptance or wanting to fit in on the football team, the last thing on my mind probably would have been losing weight. I would have been like, I want to keep eating. They probably would have encouraged me to keep eating because back then it was all like, eat pasta, get bigger, eat pasta. So I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I get to eat pizza and pasta and all that. And I want to get acceptance from the team and I want to help out the team and help out the quarterback. So there's no way in hell I would have lost my weight. And I honestly think that that was my window to lose weight. Had I not lost it that that year, my junior year in high school, I honestly don't think I ever would have lost it. And I'd still be morbidly overweight, I really think. And and, and we'll, we'll talk about this when we talk about survivor guilt. You know, like, where would I be right now, the way I was eating and taking care of myself? Would I, would I have ended up like those 600-pound guys I saw in the Big and Tall store in Confession 14? Where would I be right now? I mean, I was suicidal, very suicidal. And I was a cutter that last year before I started losing my weight. You know, I had a lot of hatred toward myself. And to think that had I not lost my weight, I would have kept eating. I would have kept gaining weight. To what level, to what point? I don't know if I ever would have stopped. But I knew that I know this, that definitely had I joined the, the team, I would not have lost my weight and I wouldn't be where I am now. And I probably wouldn't have, you know, the um, my experiences with women and my children, I mean, I guess, you know, not to say overweight people can't have children, of course, but I, 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 I don't know how to say it in a way that doesn't come off insensitive. I would not have had the life that I had, had I joined the football team. So I think it's in a lot of these podcasts, guys, I talk about how like my obesity and my insecurities stopped me, stymied me, thwarted me from accomplishing stuff. Like the one I talked about in the cancer hospital, how, uh, my obesity made me insecure about joining medical school, even after I lost my weight because I still felt like a fat kid and how it jeopardized my career in general. But I think at this, in this case, it's one of those occasions where actually the insecurity probably saved my life because my insecurity prevented me from joining the football team because I didn't join the football team. I took PE the next year and I lost my weight. So I don't know, maybe my guardian angel intervened. I don't know. All I know is it would have been like Sartre's Jean-Paul Sartre's no exit, you know, the definition of hell would have been being stuck in a locker room and showering with, with my tormentors on the football team until the end of time. I really think that, that if it wasn't for my insecurities, 
Um, if you've never read a No Exit, I, it's been a long time, but there's like a guy, a girl, and another girl, if I remember correctly, and I don't want to misquote this, but uh, there's Sartre is an existentialist. So there's like a guy, he's in a room with a girl. He loves the girl. The girl loves a lesbian. And then the lesbian, no, she's a lesbian and she loves another girl, but that girl loves the guy. And so at the end of the play, they figure out that, that they're in hell and that hell is them being stuck in this room forever or something like that. I don't know. Yes, yeah, so that that's the end of uh, this confession, the lumbering athlete confession number eighteen. I do appreciate you listening. I've gotten some great feedback. Uh, I post these these um, episodes on Twitter under uh, hashtag weight loss, weight loss transformation, and so forth. So I have gotten some feedback, and I've had quite a few people listen to these podcasts. And so, if any of you have been listening to them since the beginning, I I thank you so much and. I would give you a metaphorical hug if I could, because I do like doing the naturopathic earth radio ones, especially the ones with Kate, because they're fun. But I, I still find catharsis and processing when I do these confessions. And especially when I do them with a a live person, I think it's going to be definitely an added dimension. And that is coming up very soon. Um, I'm planning to record a live one in the next week. Uh, I might have this one out and maybe the popular brother, which is 19 out before that, but it is coming down the pipe. So if any of you want to be interviewed, and again, you don't have to have lost your weight. You could still be overweight. I just, just somebody who was an overweight child. And then it'd be great to, to interview. So thank you for listening. I'd appreciate your feedback. Post some uh, reviews on iTunes. That'd be fantastic. Until then, take care and God bless. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Confessions of an Obese Child. Make sure to visit us at www.naturopathicearth.com for additional confessions, wellness articles, recipes, and a whole lot more. Leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to this podcast. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Naturopath Earth. See you next time.